0: We live in a reality that is interconnected by the physical and non-physical, essentially the spiritual. The non-physical would be everything that operates on the quantum level, like particles and waveforms, or that which is unexplainable by materialist science. The illusion of reality is that there is no spiritual aspect or force governing our experience here. Within this illusion we find all our experiences to be real. And they are. However, what real is has been redefined over time. The interchangeability of the terms quantum and spiritual, as we shall see, doesn't diminish the power of the higher force known to us as the creator. The situation at hand is that we are here. We are governed by institutions on this planet, yet there is a higher divine power that governs all things. The trap or sinister agenda of the shadowy elite, if you will, is to keep the illusion efficiently running. By slavishly agreeing to the institutional narrative about life and never questioning the physical reality, we limit ourselves by the illusion and in turn weaken our potential to know God and our true power. When I use the term God, I mean that, in the most general of sense, to denote the absolute creator of all. All the ancient religious texts speak of a creator and a process of us being placed here in this universe for some particular purpose. In this illusion, we find a sort of game being played out, a program. The goal, it seems, would be to beat the game and win in the end. Whatever that means, or how that is done, is up for interpretation. To understand the complex nature of the simulated reality we may live in, we must understand the cohesion between the mind and body. Through the mind we experience reality and through the body we are contained in it. The central reality we all interface with is virtual. It is made up of the collective programming of the shared sub-psyche. In a letter to a colleague Carl Jung used crystals and their structure as a metaphor for the archetypes and the psyche. He stated, The word archetype is thoroughly characteristic of the structural forms that underlie consciousness, as the crystal lattice underlies the crystallization process. What Jung meant was that, just like crystals, our reality is formulated by an underlying system of codes. These codes, to Jung, with the archetypes the established symbols which are assigned meaning and therefore make up our perception from the moment we exit the womb with our senses we see colors and hear sounds these stimuli are specifically set to our human parameters we know there are more colors and sounds because other beings and computers are not limited to the range that we perceive this alone tells us that we are programmed to a certain reality. At times, the line between the conscious and subconscious blurs and we get to experience paranormal phenomena. Some might say that the paranormal exists outside of us and we observe it, while others would say that it exists within us and we project it. Young spoke on this with the case of UFOs in his book, Flying Saucers, A Modern Myth of Things Seen in the Sky. He believed the ones seen early on during the first world wars were an emanation of the collective subconscious anticipating something of devastating intensity. They appeared because the collective subconscious wrestled to understand the paradigm shift in the human existential state to such an extent that the subconscious difficulty had no other option but to project itself outward to be further decoded by the conscious, as he explains here. In this case, they are to be regarded as symbols representing, in visual form, some thought that was not thought consciously, but is merely potentially present in the unconscious in invisible form, and attains visibility only through the process of becoming conscious. The visible form, however, expresses the meaning of the unconscious content only approximately. Like when a virus is in the body. And the sickness becomes the ultimate reflection of what is going on at the microcosmic level mass visions can become the ultimate of what is stirring in the collective sub-psyche throughout the book Jung proposes that the circular shape of ufos is based on the idea of divine totality or the unreachable and unknowable at a time of messianic or apocalyptic frenzy like the time of the world wars The collective subconscious can project a mass hallucination into our reality of a UFO which is a fortified archetype of the circle according to Jung. In its primal form, the circle has always represented the divine and unfathomable. Jung uses the mandala as an example of this. Mandalas are circular symbols used by the mystic as protection or initiation into the subconscious these practices go back hundreds of years the circle in magic is frequently used as a powerful symbol as well usually drawn around the practitioner again to amplify and protect the process the ufo to young was the mind's answer to the expectation of a messiah to be seen in the sky during the apocalypse that many were enduring divine archetypes are envisioned by the mystic as their subconscious, the part of the mind most connected to God, decodes the divine cryptic message, revealing the archetype to have been sent as a holy emissary. The emissary is akin to the observer's mind. It comes from within. It is a projection of the subconscious. I say that the subconscious is the part of the mind closest to God because it is the most primal and free part of us, as Jung also concluded in his UFO book. Modern man still does not realize that he is entirely dependent on the cooperation of the unconscious, which can actually cut short the very next sentence he proposes to speak. He is unaware that he is continuously sustained by something while all the time he regards himself exclusively as the doer. The body, our physical avatar, is the crude governor of our life in this reality. Our consciousness is the player animating the physical. When we attempt to live consciously, we are venturing to wield and shape our reality. Our subconscious can be described as our higher self. It is the true self, the voice in our head. Proof of this would be the fact that it is so difficult for people to enact change in their lives. If we could all do the things that we dreamt of, like eating better, working out more, or being smarter with our time, then we would simply do it. We are constantly distracted and discouraged by ourselves, for the most part, to do the things we feel guilty neglecting. When we live by the body, we are led by crude autonomic emotion and passiveness. We can't truly change our reality until we consciously change our deepest self, the subconscious program. Jung's second half of his explanation of archetypes and crystals is equally important. Crystals are formed from lattices. The lattice is the basic 3D unit structure formed by particles at the atomic level within a crystal. For example, the lattice points or particles could form a cube, and that one cube multiplies itself over and over in a fractal style, creating the physical crystal you hold in your hand. The lattice contains all the information needed to replicate and pass on the growth plan to form the finished crystal. As I've explained our reality is similar in that the construct the crystal seems like a single physical unit however it is made up of codes that beautifully underlie the design these codes aren't just the archetypes that Jung spoke of our actual physical reality is made up of numerical codes this reality we live in operates from numbers and geometry in mit professor max tegmark's book our mathematical universe he concludes if you believe in an external reality independent of humans then you must also believe that our physical reality is a mathematical structure everything in our world is purely mathematical including you the math in nature is the code that replicates the growth patterns this is evident in the fibonacci sequence and golden ratio for example A tree twig is a replicate of the tree branch, which is a replicate of the tree itself. The Fibonacci sequence is also related to what is known as the Golden Ratio, which is 1.618. The ratio between Fibonacci's numbers, as they increase, tends to harmonize to 1.618. This ratio is special because when it is plugged into a natural growth pattern it not only follows the Fibonacci sequence but very often creates the usual spiral or double spiral we see throughout the micro and macrocosm. The geometry part of our simulated reality comes in with the abstract arrangement of the integers and equations and the finished product. For example The circular human egg produced through conception splits off and replicates this process until it creates a human baby. Within the human baby is the Fibonacci sequence and the golden ratio. And perhaps the most obvious proof of the fractal nature of life is the fact that just like the many twigs branching from the tree, humans reproduce themselves from other humans, a never-ending fractal of people. The usual 9 months it takes for a baby to be born would be a form of a systematic and numerical program that is embedded in nature. This is an equation involving numbers and geometry. Life may seem random and chaotic, but when we take a deeper look, everything is set to certain divine parameters to be sustainable. Interestingly, most scientists generally believe that the blueprint for life stems from DNA. But this has been challenged over the years. In the 1980s, author and researcher Rupert Sheldrake proposed that DNA was not the fundamental building block by which all things are dictated their form. He understood that genes, the carriers of DNA, come equipped in the unit cell structure. They come as a part of the package and therefore are not the creators of cells in the macrobiological life form, whether it's an insect or human. DNA, like a light switch, simply activates certain traits, but to Sheldrake, something was underlying DNA and the cell altogether causing it to form. He theorized that cells form from morphogenetic fields. This is done so by morphic resonance. Sheldrake has explained morphic resonance as being an energy field which carries memory and life-building codes into the next creation in nature various fields are invisible yet we accept that they exist we know that the electromagnetic field exists and can measure it with certain apparatuses sheldrake believes there's a field of resonance that forms cells and although it is undetectable to us now that doesn't mean it will be forever the morphogenetic field is the resonance field responsible for shaping cells into their appropriate design with appropriate components. This process is probably like the science of the cymoscope or cymatics. When water molecules are hit with certain frequencies, they form specific shapes which resemble atomical structures. Each frequency creates a different structure. Similar to that process, cell structures are formulated by morphic fields that tune the cell to its specific shape and structure. The physical world is governed by quantum structures and processes such as particles, lattices, energy fields, etc. These are the invisible aspects that retain and activate the codes to run the programs. This overall system is the matrix that we live in. The matrix we are in is comprised of a lattice gridwork wherein the smallest of particles and waveforms make up the entirety of what we call the universe or our programmed physical reality. In short, the crystal lattice mind illusion is the concept that reality is comprised of the physical and non-physical working in conjunction to construct our universe. The crystal lattice part of it is the fact that both the physical and non-physical operate from a code system as I've briefly explained. The mind illusion aspect of the concept has to do with the conflict of neglecting to realize that we are more than just the physical. The oldest of creation myths, the Babylonian Enuma Elish, the Egyptian pyramid and coffin text Hindu Rig Veda all speak of a primordial watery darkness from which the creator self-emerged. In the Babylonian Enuma Elish, we are told that before anything was created and before anything was named, Apsu created the first elemental gods with the help of the feminine Tiamat. It is said that their waters mingled and through this process the elemental gods were born. Interestingly, The opening lines stress that nothing had yet been named. This idea of the spoken word is a theme we will find throughout many religious cosmologies. In the overall Egyptian creation myth, we are told through the pyramid and coffin texts, with the former going back to the 3rd millennium BC, that in the beginning there was watery darkness. From this watery darkness emerged the first being, Atum. Atum then later created the elemental gods by speaking with the noon, the watery darkness. Atum was a sort of androgynous being who was self-created and sort of brought forth the first gods from out of itself. The Rig Veda, the earliest of Vedic Sanskrit texts going back to 1500 BC, speaks of creation in its Nasadiya Sukta, praise of knowledge. This text speaks of a cosmic water that preceded all things. And from this watery darkness sprang forth the One who created all living things. Of course, all three of these cultural creation myths are reflected in the Torah's opening lines where we are told God created the heavens and the earth. In the opening passage, we are told that God's Spirit was hovering over the primordial waters when He declared, let there be light. In each of these creation stories, we find three key similarities, primeval watery darkness, a self-created being, and life spoken into existence. This wateriness was the source ether, the cosmic ether, which is the source connectivity, the mother of all wave channels. Different imitations of the primeval cosmic water could be the ocean, radio waves, thought waves, wind the morphogenetic field, it is the spirit of all things. The spirit itself isn't conscious, it only allows the availability of consciousness, just as the ocean itself isn't alive but allows life to form. The self-created God was the source of all consciousness, which is the mind that animates the connective underlying waves. For example, a radio has radio waves But it's only static until the broadcaster taps into them the creator was the first mind and ego to identify with self the third aspect of creation was the vibration or manifestation of physicality although we would tend to think of vibration and the cosmic ether as the same they are fundamentally different this is explained in quantum physics vibration is the action or animated state of a particle. Particles make up all physical reality. In quantum physics, we have what are called phonons. Phonons are waves of many particles vibrating. Therefore, when the ancients spoke about God creating through word, this reflects what we know to be true about the physical realm today. The entire physical realm is made up of vibrating particles. Vibration represents the physical world, and in the Creation myth represents the Creator's ability to form matter at will. Thus, these three components seemingly materialized in sequence but essentially all at once. Through the spirit or cosmic ether, the Creator was formed, and through the Creator, all physicality was made manifest through the action of vibration or word the OM vibration, as we shall call it. The Greek philosopher Plato informs us about the illusory nature of reality throughout his various works such as his Republic. In what is commonly known as his theory of forms, he realized that everything in the physical realm is a facsimile of a pure and original master copy. In a simple example, we can draw a sun on paper, No matter how good the artist is, it will always be nothing more than a representation of the sun. All the representations of the sun, whether on paper or in film, are copies and renditions of the real thing. The sun is the form, the original and master embodiment of all the sun copies. When we look at a painting of a sun, we know it represents the sun and not an orange fruit because the form or original carries what Plato called the essence. The copies carry a disfigured fractal of that essence. The form of anything carries the enigmatic essence or blueprint of what makes all the other copies like it. In the same thought, Plato questioned whether all physical life was just then a projection from the essence of all things. In his famous cave analogy, Plato explained that we here in this matrix have become so used to viewing life as physical and completely material that we have forgotten the essence or source of it all. We think we are experiencing all that there is, but by definition of the crystal lattice mind illusion, all reality is a program projected from the essence, the ancient matrix. Human development spans millions of years. Although we've been here for a very long time, we haven't always been quite conscious. Most of our early achievements were as discursive as the average life of animals. I'm not here to say that animals aren't conscious, but I do believe there are different dimensions to consciousness. We have facets of consciousness that we operate through, When we sleep and have dreams, we are sometimes only observers of the experience operating more subtly. Thinking, which is an attribute of consciousness, has differing levels as well. Just as our body has autonomic functions, like the beating of the heart, some thinking done by various life forms is autonomic. Most bugs, I would assume, aren't really thinking far past their basic needs. Some animals do exhibit higher levels of thinking and show impressive self-awareness and emotion, however, they are still heavily centered around lower thought concepts. We might see a spider weaving a very intricate web, however, this is more so a testament to nature's complexity. The spider doesn't learn how to weave a web, it just knows to. It's designed to do so. What differentiates human intellect from others is that we can go against our systematic and inherent nature to create new and unprecedented systems. A.C. Bhaktivedanta states in his book, Coming Back, The Science of Reincarnation, that there are three major kingdoms or forms of consciousness, plant consciousness, animal consciousness, and human consciousness. In his book, he presents a conversation between a professor and a swami. The professor states that humans are different from all other life forms because they are self-conscious the swami agrees and takes it further by saying as humans we should endeavor for self-realization and not simply act on the level of the bird and beast human life enables one to inquire about the absolute truth this should be the goal of all works so with that Not only does our mind have varying facets of consciousness, but also there are different levels of thinking and consciousness among the biological kingdoms. In the world of anthropology, what separates us from our very own hominid ancestors is the ability to formulate symbols and language. Our previously less cognitive ancestors are described by scientists as non-linguistic and non-symbolic organisms. We existed for many millions of years before suddenly, about 40 to 50,000 years ago, our cognitive intellect dramatically expanded to what we are familiar with today. This instant boost in consciousness is a mystery to anthropologists and scientists alike. Ian Tattersall, paleoanthropologist and a curator for the American Museum of Natural History in New York, has analyzed this mystery. In his article, What Happened in the Origin of Human Consciousness, Tattersall explains that one of the most fascinating details about the origins of our modern cognition is that it vastly postdates our modern Homo sapiens skeletal system. Our modern skeletal system can be traced back at least 100,000 years ago with modern remains in Israel. So, for millions of years, we weren't even Homo sapiens. Then, about 100,000 years ago, we developed the current Homo sapiens skeletal structure. And then, 50,000 years ago, we suddenly gained consciousness in the way that we view it now. It was as if our minds just turned on and we became self-aware. This is evidence that the upgrade in our cognitive ability was not due to some slow process of evolution. It was instigated by some outside force. Alfred Wallace, essentially the co-founder of Darwinism, who conceived the idea of natural selection, later realized that natural selection couldn't account for the complex cognitive usages of the human mind. Wallace and Darwin were colleagues who shared information and notes on their developing theory of evolution. Wallace is accredited for having in part formulated the theory of Darwinism however it wasn't very long after that he realized although the theory could explain a lot of the mundane adaptations of biological life it couldn't thoroughly explain the magnificent complexity of the human mind in a letter sent in 1869 to a colleague wallace wrote it seems to me that if we once admit the necessity of any action beyond natural selection in developing man we have no reason whatever for confining that agency to his brain. On the mere doctrine of chances, it seems to me in the highest degree improbable that so many points of structure, all tending to favor his mental development, should concur in man alone of all animals. In a letter to his colleague E.B. Poulton, which wasn't publicized till after his death, Wallace goes on even further with his views stating, I know that non-human intelligences exist, that there are minds disconnected from a physical brain, that there is, therefore, a spiritual world. This is not, for me, a belief merely, but knowledge founded on the long-continued observation of facts, and such knowledge must modify my views as to the origin and nature of human faculty. In various writings of Wallace's, such as his Miracles in Modern Spiritualism, he revealed certain mystical experiences he witnessed. In attending various séance parties throughout the mid-1860s to early-70s, he saw various unbelievable phenomena. He beheld tables levitating, objects moving, and even beings materializing in front of him and the rest of the party, whom they sometimes conversed with. What's fascinating is that some of these feats were deliberately called upon by certain mediums, some with more experience than others. In some cases, certain mediums would materialize certain strange beings which would then shortly be absorbed back into the medium's body. This was a testament to the power of the mind and showed that consciousness was far more mysterious and powerful than some measly occurrence of natural selection. In what was Wallace's final addendum to his long research on natural selection, the limits of natural selection as applied to man, he concluded about consciousness that, If a material element or a combination of a thousand material elements and a molecule are alike unconscious, it is impossible for us to believe that the mere addition of one two or a thousand other material elements to form a more complex molecule could in any way tend to produce a self-conscious existence. Wallace was not convinced that mere particles could formulate the complex and powerful uniqueness of consciousness. Getting back to Ian Tattersall's anthropological essay on Homo sapiens' cognitive jump, he and scientists alike attribute the invention of language as the jumping point for the steep incline in human mental abilities as he states here the biological neural capacity underwriting the radically new behavioral mode arose as an incidental exaptation in the same process that produced the new skeletal structure of homo sapiens but that it lay unexpressed until it was discovered by means of a cultural innovation, plausibly the invention of language. The mainstream view of consciousness and how it operates is based on the notion that it originates in the brain. These theories belong to the class of reductionist. There are several prevailing theories used to crudely explain away consciousness. The main four theories are known as the global workspace theory, higher order theory, integrated information theory and re-entry and predictive processing approaches theory each of these theories as you can imagine has extensive scientific papers backing them they only explain a rudimentary outlook on how a brain reacts to stimuli and could cause basic autonomic thinking akin to that of a bug these theories don't showcase how the consciousness of humans can be so inherently unique And express abstract thinking outside of just primitive activity. The reductionists differ from the non localists who believe consciousness is superior to matter. Locality is a term within quantum physics that is often used to describe space time facets. In short, locality would relate to the physical or reductionist viewpoint of reality. Everything happens in the brain. Non locality would mean that the phenomenon of consciousness does not happen in the brain, but precedes it. Vernon Nepp and Ed Close, both highly respected academicians with doctorates and many publications on the subject of the mind and reality, have proposed that reality is constructed of nine dimensions, as quoted by Dr. Nepp in an article for Newswire. It appears that our current concept of reality is incomplete. Dr. Close and I have demonstrated that we live in a 9 dimensional finite reality, not just our traditional 3 dimensions of space happening in a present moment of time. We experience physical living in our restricted 4 dimensional finite reality, but the rest of our reality appears to be hidden beyond our direct view. Yet, these additional dimensions might provide many keys to life as we know it, and explain many of the mysteries of science. They presented this theory back in 2011. In this model, we live in a finite nine-dimensional reality that exists within an infinite mainframe. The infinite mainframe, or main power source, for the nine dimensions is consciousness. More specifically, infinite, or source consciousness. As they explain in another paper titled, The Controversy of Conventional Scientific Materialism versus Integrating Multidimensionality, the Infinite, and Consciousness. 9D plus science makes a big difference in solving the many ostensibly insoluble conundrums of SMP physics. This existence includes a consciousness that most in the physical reality don't even realize exist, because it likely reflects a pervasive, higher consciousness, mainly outside the brain. This extended consciousness interfaces continuously with our finite reality. It reflects both the infinite continuity, but it even occurs at the most fundamental quantized level. This hidden force is the infinite source that manifests the physical world from the very subatomic level to the biggest of macro structures. They coined this force, the Gimel, as they explain. Gimmel is the connection between consciousness, life, and the atomic structure and that the potential for conscious life existed in the mutable mass and energy of quarks even before they became the first protium atoms of physical reality. Mathematically, Gimel necessarily has to exist in union with any particle in the universe for that particle to be stable. Without gimmel, the spinning, vortical atoms would be unstable and asymmetrical about their axes and would, in effect, fly apart. Our world and the physical universe could not exist. The reductionist point of view doesn't explain non-local phenomena or the vast uniqueness of individual identity and experience. It doesn't conclusively explain the origin of consciousness. And that's because, like the non-localists have detailed, consciousness seems to be superior and antecedent to the physical world. It only has the illusion of being controlled by the brain in this reality. The brain is the physical representation of who we are in this matrix. But the brain doesn't exist science teaches us also that everything we see is a mere representation of vibrating information that our brains pick up process then project into a form if this is so then our brain which is also a physical object is a mere representation of some energy field we are processing but that would be a paradox how can our brains process themselves as an image and project it if all we are is a brain then, if we were to take the power of perception away from every living creature, all that would be underlying central reality and the universe would be a bunch of flaccid brains floating in some strange nothingness. The truth is, we aren't our brains. The brain is just the programmed avatar for what we are, which is a vastly interconnected spiritual being with the immense ability to perceive and interact with infinity. If the brain and body did just fine, operating on a crude level for millions of years, why then would it need to implement consciousness and exceed to such high levels, giving it the ability to create abstract structures and systems outside of nature? This is probably so because our reality is a matrix that gives off the illusion that it is the center of the experience. Often described as a simulation, our entire reality is simply a program that we interface with our true selves might be stationed in a different dimension controlling our physical avatars here in this reality three researchers developed and published a new explanation for consciousness in october of 2022 leading researcher andrew budson md professor of neurology explain that in this new theory everything we do and perceive in this reality is simulated it's simulated in the sense that it doesn't occur instantaneously our actions are programmed and then executed afterward as he explains in this quote here what is completely new about this theory is that it suggests we don't perceive the world make decisions or perform actions directly instead We do all these things unconsciously and then, about half a second later, consciously remember doing them. The implication would be that our subconscious is the real driver of what we do consciously. As I mentioned earlier, it is through our subconscious that programming takes place. The reason it's hard to fight addiction and bad habits is that our conscious mind isn't strong enough alone. It isn't the only aspect of us. Budzen also touches on this, saying, Even our thoughts are not generally under our conscious control. This lack of control is why we may have difficulty stopping a stream of thoughts running through our head as we're trying to go to sleep, and also why mindfulness is hard. The idea that we have two minds is not something far fetched. Most people in the world experience what is known as an internal dialogue, also known as inner speech it's the subconscious and it's inciting through language that consciousness seems to strengthen this speaking to oneself is a form of communication with the subconscious it is a helpful tool for memory-based learning in the field of anthropology the main trait that separated modern homo sapiens from the other hominids was the invention of language and symbolism anthropologists might suggest that conscious awareness developed long ago to fortify memory and real-time feedback learning. Internal dialogue is the sensation of being able to hear your voice in your head. Not everyone has an internal dialogue, it's estimated that about half of the population experiences one. Internal dialogue is the same as a character in a movie having their thoughts play out loud while they're thinking, except in this case The only person that hears the voice would be you. Many are shocked on both sides to know that people of the opposite experience exist. American psychologist Julian Jaynes proposed a fascinating theory in his 1976 book, The Origin of Consciousness in the Breakdown of the Bicameral Mind, relating to inner dialogue and the subconscious mind. In his book, he postulated that not too long ago, all humans heard a loud and prominent voice in their heads. Julian Jaynes proclaims that the shift from the bicameral mind, the prevailing voice in our mind dictating to us, only occurred about 3,000 years ago. He believes this voice was the driving factor for many decisions that were made by our ancestors. He gives various pieces of evidence that are exhibited in the writings of the ancient world. In Hammurabi's Law Code, he gives exaltation to the Babylonian god Marduk. And although Hammurabi presents his creative laws, as Jaynes points out, the 282 lines were seemingly predicated to him by his god. These decrees were quite literally heard and channeled by Hammurabi. Jaynes proposed that the mind of our ancient ancestors was different. They viewed reality in a way we don't fully comprehend. According to the bicameral mind theory, Our ancestors weren't just using the idea of the gods as an excuse to rule over people and enact change. They were indeed hallucinating the gods and hearing their voices and at times seeing them. James also uses the Greek Iliad to further demonstrate this reality. There are certain descriptive words in the epic regarding perception that Jaynes points out reveal that consciousness was at a different developmental stage during that time. James explains that the word psyche, which later in history meant mind, only referred to life substances such as blood or breath. Thumos, which later meant soul in the Iliad, refers to motion. As Jaynes points out, for example, Whenever a character in the story stops moving, his thumos leaves him. There are other instances throughout the language of the Iliad which showcase a much more rudimentary viewpoint on life. One, for example, is the word nous, which in its later form as nous meant consciousness. Both come from the word noein to see. In the Iliad, there is a scene where Zeus holds Odysseus in his nous or watch. The Iliad, as beautiful as it is, is replete with crude explanations for life, not akin to the later fortified spiritualness of the Hellenistic era. Thus, when we started to become linguistic and symbolic, our consciousness was upgraded Our brains utilized metaphors in their most esoteric of sense to hallucinate reality and further construct the matrix that we live in today, which revolves around the ideological institutions still based on these ancient constructs. This was a minuscule reenactment of what the Creator did to initiate all life into existence. The Creator spoke all of life into existence through the willpower of vibration. We too, it seems created our central reality through language and symbols money for example is a word that is a part of a contextual language of finance the paper dollar is a physical metaphor for the trust and transaction we trade with each other it's not necessary for life but we created it to be a part of our central reality consciousness is a mystery it is what defines us as humans Yet, we can't agree on where it originated from and how it developed to such heightened states. Infinite consciousness that resides in all things through resonance precedes physical reality. Therefore, our consciousness, which is a fractal of the source consciousness, should also precede physical reality. This means we simply are not our bodies. We've been programmed to be here, called to be here, and sent here. Just like any other program, software and hardware are often upgraded. Our consciousness might not fully be developed and could still be unfolding into an even higher state of awareness. One system of belief that offers a unique philosophy in this regard is that of the Kabbalah. Kabbalah, translated as reception or tradition, is the esoteric teaching of the Torah. In Kabbalah, God is also known as Ein Sof. The Endless One or Infinity. There is also a tale told in Kabbalah known as the Shevira or Breaking of Vessels. In this tale, Ein Sof is an unfathomable light, the light that permeates all things and gives them existence. This light, God, attempted to create a universe before this one and intricately placed parts of itself within the physical vessels that would reflect its light via other beings or planets, whatever it desired. But its light was too much to bear, and all things shattered, not being able to withhold the essence of Ein Sof. In the next universe, this one we are currently in, the Ein Sof committed what is known in Kabbalah as SimSum, self-limitation. In the Ein Sof's second attempt at creating a sustainable universe and reality, it had to sustain some of itself, its light, to give everything else a chance to thrive and express its being to the fullest. This drawback of the Creator obscured it, making it seem as if it's nowhere to be found, yet everywhere, in all places, allowing us to exist. In the Kabbalistic approach, God is the infinite consciousness expressed as light, which in quantum physics would be the energy fields that comprise all matter. The Creator, the Ein Sof, gave rise to us and our consciousness. We are fractals of its consciousness, and God, the hidden God, the Ein Sof of the unknowable light, is everything that we see. Consciousness is us, though it might not be all that we are. Our bodies have autonomic properties that we don't control. Our minds have varying aspects that we don't always have control over. The self that we are and identify with is just one component of the spiritual machine, the human body and mind. With the spiritual machine, we interface with reality. We have barely begun to understand the non-localist phenomena and science which demonstrate that consciousness is separate and superior to matter if the ancient matrix was the true beginning of all things then all things are in one way or another a fractal or reflection of the first consciousness god if you will erwin schrodinger 1887 to 1961 a famous theoretical physicist nobel prize winner and pioneer of quantum physics was also known for having controversial non-materialist views at a time when the materialist reigned supreme. Schrodinger believed that there only exists one mind in the universe and everything else is an illusory split perception of it. He stated this in what is probably his most famous quote, the total number of minds in the universe is one. In fact, consciousness is a singularity phasing within all beings. Schrodinger also believed that consciousness preceded matter and could not be explained by materialist science, as quoted here. Consciousness cannot be accounted for in physical terms, for consciousness is absolutely fundamental. It cannot be accounted for in terms of anything else. The ancient matrix is expressed throughout the universe and in clever ways is disguised as other forms of energy and power. The game of physical life is willpower the ability to obtain and retain one's destiny. The mind power that we interface with is the one consciousness, the creator consciousness of the ancient matrix. But in the physical realm, second to the mind, is the galvanizing power that is represented as energy. Our daily lives are sustained by various energy grids, such as the electrical grid, the internet grid, and the mechanical machines that run from fuel sources. But the entire universe runs off a basic set of grids that we call the four fundamental forces of nature. They are called the electromagnetic force, weak force, strong force, and gravitational force. The electromagnetic force is a combination of electrically charged particles, objects, or biostructures which produce a magnetic field. The weak force, also known as the weak nuclear interaction, is the force that is responsible for particle decay or transition. The strong force, strong nuclear interaction, is what squeezes and holds together all matter from subatomic particles to atoms and thus our physical structures. The fourth and final force is the gravitational force. The particles that make up the gravitational force as of now are only theoretical. The other forces have been observed and tested in many experiments However, the gravitational force can only be detected by its effects. It's invisible even to our most advanced technology. Gravity is the force that causes objects in the universe, both micro and macro, to pull and spiral toward each other. It's the force that sets the proverbial clockwork into motion. With the four forces, we have electricity, emissions, structure, and clockwork. The four children of the ancient matrix's cosmic ether which are all forces of ethers in their own right. However, there could be another powerful energy grid that exists throughout the universe that could be tapped into and used as a free energy source. From that energy grid, fantastic capabilities could be gained. Governments around the world for centuries have attempted to build efficient and powerful weapons and systems trying out various power sources for them. Example, fossil fuels, radioactivity, solar power, and other types. With the recent UFO disclosure around the world, particularly in the US, we've been witness to a unique energy source, one that seems to have anti-gravity properties and some sort of advanced self-energizing power source. Although these recent events have been the first time many people around the world have seen such incredible technology on display, it might not be the first time many governments around the world have been acquainted with it. The American military and intelligence sectors have been studying and working on building anti-gravity technology since at least the 1950s. The modern timeline of the U.S. military intelligence work on anti-gravity systems starts with George S. Trimble, Vice President of Rias Research Institute for Advanced Study in the 1950s. Rias was a branch of the Glen L. Martin Company, which converted into the Martin Marietta and eventually into the now infamous Lockheed in 1995 to form Lockheed Martin. Lockheed Martin and its branch, Skunk Works, have been rumored over the years to be involved with reverse engineering extraterrestrial craft to construct anti-gravity machines. Ben Rich, former head of Lockheed Skunk Works, is widely quoted as ominously stating, We now know how to travel to the stars. The Air Force has just given us a contract to take ET back home. Lockheed is a massive American corporation with work and advancements in aerospace, arms, defense, information, security, and technology. Former Nevada Senator and leader in the Democratic Party, Harry Reid, once told the New Yorker that he believed Lockheed had in its possession fragments of a crashed alien craft. Reed even petitioned the Pentagon some time ago to have access to the fragments and possibly some information on them, to which he received no reply. Trimble, the 1950s head of Rias, put together a team of brilliant scientists and engineers to tackle the anti-gravity challenges. Trimble was featured alongside his colleagues in the New York Herald Tribune in 1956 in articles written by aviation journalist Ansel Talbert. In one of those articles talbert reveals the current efforts to understand gravity and universal gravitation both at the subatomic level and at the level of the universe have the positive backing today of many of america's outstanding physicists these include dr edward teller of the university of california who received prime credit for developing the hydrogen bomb dr j robert oppenheimer director of the institute for advanced study at princeton Dr. Freeman J. Dyson, a theoretical physicist, and Dr. John A. Wheeler, Professor of Physics at Princeton University, who made important contributions to America's first nuclear fission project. This was about 70 years ago. We can assume a lot of innovations have been made since those early days. For example, the Defense Intelligence Agency, founded in 1961, has various declassified documents overviewing the theoretical science behind such technology. In what are known as Ders Defense Intelligence Reports, we can glean some fascinating assessments done by the agency regarding anti-gravity. For example, in one report dated 2011 titled Quantum Tomography of Negative Energy States in the Vacuum, we find in the intro that future aerospace vehicles could have an advanced propulsion system that uses negative quantum vacuum energy to modify the space-time geometry in the immediate vicinity surrounding the vehicle in order to induce faster than light motion via traversable wormholes or warp drives or even levitation via anti-gravity. Engineers in the field of anti-gravity, like those at Lockheed Skunk Works or the Defense Intelligence Agency, have begun to realize that UFOs might be utilizing some sort of quantum propulsion that gains energy from the very fabric of space-time. Skunk Works' very own founder Clarence Kelly Johnson, who designed some of the U.S. spy planes known as the U 2, interviewed the second director in its history, Ben Rich, famous for the ET comment on the nature of UFOs. In the interview conducted for Mutual UFO Network's Journal, Johnson asked Rich how UFOs operate, to which Ben Rich replied, Let me ask you, how does ESP work? To which Johnson replied, All points in time and space are connected. Rich followed with, that's how it works this idea of all points in time and space being connected follows the idea of a massive interconnected quantum field which if harnessed properly could be used as a self sustaining fuel system it would be like a boat moving through water that is constantly fueled by the water it runs through in the above mentioned dir this idea is advocated by military intelligence as follows The implementation of faster-than-light interstellar travel via traversable wormholes or warp drives or other anti-gravity forces for propulsion generally requires the engineering of space-time into a very specialized local geometries surrounding the immediate vicinity of the aerospace vehicle undergoing this type of motion. Such geometries require the use of exotic matter in order to produce the requisite faster-than-light or anti-gravity space-time modification. Exotic matter is generally defined by general relativity physics to be matter that possesses negative energy density, a.k.a. gravitational repulsion or anti-gravity. The engineering of spacetime into very specialized local geometries would be the vehicle or machines capturing of the quantum energy grid as fuel source. The process in which anti-gravity would be achieved would be by taking the quantum energy grid that forms gravity, which is the density of matter, and flip it into a negative energy density, simply reversing its properties to produce anti-mass or anti-gravity. In a now-declassified NASA paper from 1979 titled Field Resonance Propulsion Concept, we find further covert assessments of UFOs and the unified field. The paper opens by stating, a new propulsion concept has been developed based on a proposed resonance between coherent pulsed electromagnetic waveforms and gravitational waveforms, or space-time metrics. Using this concept, A spacecraft propulsion system could be created with potential capability of galactic and intergalactic travel without prohibitive travel times. UFOs are often observed to disappear instantaneously. In a subset of these cases, the UFO later reappears at a nearby location, implying a disappearance from and a reappearance into space-time. The high-speed right-angle turns, abrupt stops, or accelerations of UFOs and the absence of sonic booms, despite calculated speeds of 22,000 miles per hour or more, suggests that UFOs may generate an artificial gravitational field or otherwise use properties of space-time which we are not familiar with. This field that scientists are looking to discover and harness, which they believe UFOs are using as a fuel source, is the unifying field that sustains the physical universe. Although consciousness is the pure form of what we are, we still have to deal with our lives here in this physical realm. Consciousness interacts with and can manipulate reality, but is challenged and limited by the forces of universal law. Just as the realm of the spirit or mind is regulated by the interconnectivity of consciousness, the physical realm is regulated by the unified field, which is the solid counterpart to consciousness. The unified field of Einstein is the matrix energy gridwork, that sustains and organizes all things into their respective orders in the physical realm. In the study of physics, the forces that the universe operates from, the four fundamental forces of nature, as I've briefly explained, could altogether be the very unified field that UFO researchers have been looking for. The designers of these supposed UFOs might have simply found a way to unify all four of the known forces to work as a propulsion fuel source tying them all together would forge them into a powerful force that could be used to achieve the seemingly impossible space travel and warp drive of the future knowing that the four forces are connected throughout the universe means the potential to use the forces as an endless sea of fuel the matrix energy grid work is what our consciousness taps into through the body machine to operate here in this simulation the electromagnetic field powers our brain and organs thus animating us. The weak force breaks things down through combustion or emission. Like the exhaust pipe of a vehicle or machine, our excess energy is efficiently dissipated to keep us running. The strong force holds us together, keeping us structurally sound and bolted. The gravitational force also sets the clockwork of celestial motion. Which in turn regulates our internal rhythms, for example, our sleep patterns and cyclical changes, thus keeping life in its perpetual state of death and rebirth. The Matrix Energy Gridwork is the hard set program of the Crystal Lattice Mind Illusion. The CLMI is the whole simulation that encompasses both the Matrix Energy Gridwork and consciousness, tricking us into believing that we are physical beings in a fairly mundane universe that is ruled by basic elements and forces, when really, we are consciousness implanted into the matrix of central reality toggling through the simulation. However, just as our bodies and consciousness have evolved over the millennia of humanity's existence, maybe our connection with the matrix energy grid work will also evolve. Maybe one day, we will be able to interface directly with the gridwork and consciously manipulate it to achieve even more amazing feats of willpower. This was the sentiment of the great Nikola Tesla, a man of intrigue and tragedy. He would occasionally give poetic and cryptic messages at conferences about his endeavors. In a captivating article of his written in 1930 titled Man's Greatest Achievement, Tesla lauds the ability of man and while doing so shares his belief about how this universe operates. Agreeing with my explanation of humans being spiritual machines thrown into this simulation, Tesla opens the article by stating, When a child is born, its sense organs are brought in contact with the outer world. The waves of sound, heat, and light beat upon its feeble body. Its sensitive nerve fibers quiver. The muscles contract and relax in obedience. A gasp, a breath, And in this act, a marvelous little engine of inconceivable delicacy and complexity of construction unlike any on earth is hitched to the wheelwork of the universe. Tesla follows by exalting man's ability to harness nature's power and wield it to his means, for example. He subdues and puts to his service the fierce, devastating spark of Prometheus, the titanic forces of the waterfall, the wind, and the tide. He tames the thundering bolt of jove and annihilates time and space most curiously he correlates the hindu cosmological perspective with his understanding of the natural forces he compares the hindu akasha with what he understood at the time to be luminiferous ether again the unified matrix energy grid work as he astonishingly elucidates here long ago man recognized that all perceptible matter comes from a primary substance of a tenuity beyond conception and filling all space the akasha or luminiferous ether which is acted upon by the life-giving prana or creative force calling into existence in never-ending cycles all things and phenomena tesla too inquires if this energy is capturable stating can man control this grandest most awe-inspiring of all processes In nature, can he harness her inexhaustible energies to perform all their functions at his bidding? If he could do this, he would have powers almost unlimited and supernatural. At his command, with but a slight effort on his part, old worlds would disappear and new ones of his planning would spring into being. To create and annihilate material substance, cause it to aggregate in forms according to his desire. Would be the supreme manifestation of the power of man's mind, his most complete triumph over the physical world, his crowning achievement, which would place him beside his creator and fulfill his ultimate destiny. In 1938, just a short five years before he passed away, he excitingly furthered his thoughts on this concept, unfortunately, only giving us a hint at what he discovered. In a speech he gave for the Institute of Immigrant Welfare, He stated, During the succeeding two years, 1893 and 1894, of intense concentration, I was fortunate enough to make two far-reaching discoveries. The first was a dynamic theory of gravity, which I have worked out in all details and hope to give to the world very soon. It explains the causes of this force and the motions of the heavenly bodies under its influence so satisfactorily That it will put an end to idle speculation and false conceptions. Only the existence of a field of force can account for the motions of the bodies as observed. All literature on this subject is futile and destined to oblivion. So are all attempts to explain the workings of the universe without recognizing the existence of the ether and the indispensable function it plays in the phenomena. My second discovery was of a physical truth of the greatest importance as i have searched the entire scientific records in more than a half dozen languages for a long time without finding the least anticipation i consider myself the original discoverer of this truth which can be expressed by the statement there is no energy in matter other than that received from the environment It applies rigorously to molecules and atoms as well as to the largest heavenly bodies and to all matter in the universe in any phase of its existence from its very formation to its ultimate disintegration. Sadly, Tesla passed away without being able to give us in detail what it was he discovered, but we can infer from his statements what he meant. For one, it's clear that in the mind of Tesla The etheric force is responsible for the motion of the universe. That the unified field exists and is superior to matter. In the second proclamation that he discloses, which he was hesitant to reveal, we are told that it has to do with the nature of all matter, from planets down to atoms. He also compellingly claims that this truth that he discovered has yet to be stated in any scientific academia, making him a prophetic genius. He never fully disclosed the truth, for he passed away five years later. But we can assume that in his day, when modern day quantum physics was non-existent, what he realized was that if ether is the mother of all matter and mind is not matter, then mind is superior to matter and is responsible for all that we see. In other words, we live in an illusion, a crystal lattice mind illusion. Tesla was at the forefront of these ideas almost 100 years ago. With him went his secrets, but since his lively days, there have been others who have come to similar conclusions. Some of these got too close to the truth and mysteriously disappeared. The great yogi Paramahansa Yogananda, who was one of the first to bring yoga to the West, often spoke on the illusory nature of reality in his man's eternal quest he states the sages of india since ancient times have spoken of the universe as a materialization of the thought of god it is easy to say of course that this universe is a dream but the verisimilitude of life in our everyday experiences makes it nearly impossible for us to believe that the world is nothing more than a cosmic dream it is necessary That we first develop mind power in order to be able to realize that the universe is actually made out of the thought of god and that like a dream it is structurally evanescent the proof of physical life being an illusion actually being made up of spiritual matter has been presented through quantum physics just recently in 2022 there was a breakthrough in mainstream quantum physics that subsequently proved That our universe is a hologram three scientists john clauser alan aspect and anton zeilinger worked diligently on experiments that eradicated the view of the materialist past they shared success in receiving the 2022 nobel prize in physics with headlines like the universe is not real in scientific american it's been explained that their achievement was proving that the non-local theory about our universe and thus consciousness is correct. In other words, they proved that reality is an illusion and that matter is a sort of hologram. The actual description of their achievement is as follows. For experiments with entangled photons establishing the violation of Bell inequalities and pioneering quantum information science. That doesn't sound as exciting, but I assure you, that it is, as I will explain. It all starts with a now famous paper published in 1935, titled, Can Quantum Mechanical Description of Physical Reality Be Considered Complete? The paper is recalled these days as the Einstein-Podolsky-Rosen paradox, named after the three monumental scientists who worked on the original paper together. Initially attempting to disprove quantum mechanics, the paper ended up leading to further experiments corroborating quantum mechanics and the illusory nature of physical reality, as the generations of scientists who followed attempted to challenge the paper. The EPR paper analyzed the anomalous wave function of particles, which in basic, is its given characteristic generally described as its spin properties. A wave function is a limited number of properties that any single particle will take on. For example, in a metaphorical explanation, if we are to measure or observe any given particle, we could find that it is a black particle and measure one next to it and find that it is a white particle. The color would be its wave function, the personality it has which sets it apart from the other particles that are different from it. In Einstein's day, quantum physics was still mostly theoretical and there hadn't been many, if any, experiments to prove its basic tenets. Einstein and his colleagues analyzed the theoretical science behind quantum physics and decided if quantum physics, which allows for non-locality, were to be true, then the materialistic determinism of Einstein's theory of relativity, the standard model for how the universe worked, could not be true non-locality means that particles can change their wave function spontaneously and can interact with other particles through entanglement faster than the speed of light from any distance in the universe this einstein famously called spooky action at a distance the hypothesis that the epr paper analyzed was the phenomenon of quantum entanglement According to quantum physics, the moment two particles become entangled, either naturally or artificially, they instantaneously relate information that causes one another to react. Entanglement means they form telepathic communication. Since each particle has a set of wave functions, it can bear. When particles become entangled, they automatically express the opposite functions. For a metaphorical example, if one is white, the other will become black. The quantum theory claims that if we were to find an entangled particle that has a counterpart on the other side of the universe light years away, by looking at the wave function of the observed particle, we instantly are able to know what state the other particle is in without having to travel to the other side of the universe to check. What makes this all the more spookier is that quantum physics states a particle doesn't take on any form or function until we observe it. And because we observe it, then it scurries into a form and instantaneously its entangled counterparticle assumes the opposite form. The 2022 Nobel Prize recipients finalized experiments that they had been conducting over decades that finally proved that particles at their quantum level are in quantum superposition. Superposition means that a particle is practically non-existent or in a state of purgatory awaiting to be assigned a wave function state. It's in a state of infinite possibilities prior to being limited to a dedicated state. What makes a particle appear and assemble into a specified state, example black or white, is the mere observation of it by either human eyes or some photo-capturing device. This strange correlation between us observing the particle and it choosing to manifest essentially means that when particles or objects aren't being observed, that they aren't there, or are some flowing colorful wave of energy waiting to be downloaded by the mind and projected as an object by the simulation. This realization is immense for so many reasons. The potentiality for the power of quantum systems is grand. Quantum computing could send signals to and from without any impedance. As of now, all of our computer systems run off a binary code of numerical zeros and ones called bits. Quantum systems would run off quantum bits called qubits. A traditional computer requires an exponential amount of processing power to perform just a fraction of what a quantum computer could do. From a spiritual standpoint, it means we could create deep connections with the universe and receive all sorts of information, potentially from the past or future. It seems as if Yogananda was correct in assuming that this universe is but a fanciful dream from the mind of God. It's all just some malleable ether realm. What makes this matrix real is our minds. Our consciousness fuels physical reality. When physicality ceases to exist, our minds still exist. But if consciousness was to disappear, all things would cease to exist. The ability of quantum entanglement could theoretically mean that telepathy is real and possible. This too was tested and proven by a scientist from Mexico who mysteriously vanished in 1994. Jacobo Grinberg was a scientist from Mexico who was on the threshold of producing real results of telepathy and also changing the way we viewed the fundamentals of reality and consciousness. He studied psychology at the National University of Mexico. Afterwards, in 1970, he traveled to the United States where he received his doctorate in New York. Earning his PhD, At the E. Roy John Laboratory, Grinberg's work focused on the electrophysiological effects of geometric stimuli on the human brain. In one paper published in 1994 titled, The Einstein-Podolsky-Rosen Paradox in the Brain, The Transferred Potential, Grinberg details that he had two people meditate together for twenty minutes. During this meditation, they were asked to feel each other's presence. In order to build a cohesive energy entanglement known in the paper as a phase coherence after this they were then separated into two different rooms which were protected from electromagnetic energies one person was then stimulated with a series of flashes to forcibly produce stimulus in the brain at this exact time the other test subjects brain produced the exact same stimulus in the brain as if it were being affected in the same way This ability is what Grinberg called transferred potential, a rudimentary form of telepathy. It was a seemingly small result, but as the name implied, the potential was immense. Grinberg also noted that the distance between the two subjects in which the post-stimulus was activated did not weaken the signal or transference meaning that it wasn't shared particles or entangled energetic brain waves that caused the connection, but something underlying the fabric of reality, something that could be faster than the speed of light. This underlying internet is what Jacobo called quantum non-locality, or the pre-space structure, also called by him as the holographic non-local lattice. Our reality consists of the illusory space-time matrix, where seemingly physical objects are perceived to be moving through time in actuality it's a simulation played out by our consciousness through our brains the veiled actuality where the computations of reality are made where infinity resides exists in grinberg's pre-space structure when mystics meditate and connect with source they are tapping into the pre-space structure where time and space do not exist therefore if two people's consciousnesses are entangled therein that connection can be used as a quantum non-local medium for telepathic communication. Grinberg understood that this life was illusory and that there was some underlying force or ether that supersedes physical reality. In his paper titled Brain-to-Brain Interactions and the Interpretation of Reality, he states that, Reality is perceived as a result of a decodification performed by the brain upon the pre-space structure and as such it involves an interpretation performed by the brain-mind apparatus. Unfortunately, we never had the chance to see Grinberg's work fully realized. He mysteriously went missing in December of 1994. Another mystic of the late 20th century, Robert Monroe provided some indispensable work that furthered the non-local field of research. Monroe was a radio executive who began to conduct experiments with specific sound patterns which proved to have effects on the human psyche. On June 9th 1983, the CIA produced a report on the work of Monroe and his institute's theories titled Analysis and Assessment of the Gateway Process. The paper details that the subatomic particles that our physical world comprises are spinning energy fields. These fields can be observed as waves or particles. This is all revealed in the study of quantum physics, as the paper claims. Solid matter, in the strict construction of the term, simply does not exist. The entire human being, brain, consciousness, and all, is, like the universe which surrounds him, nothing more or less than an extraordinarily complex system of energy fields. The universe is built upon codes that develop into lattice structures that formulate physical reality. But it's all ultimately a projection from the mind it's all a hologram the cia paper demonstrates this stating the universe is one gigantic hologram of unbelievable complexity the human mind is also a hologram which attunes itself to the universal hologram by the medium of energy exchange thereby deducing meaning and achieving the state which we call consciousness As energy passes through various aspects of the universal hologram and is perceived by the electrostatic fields which comprise the human mind, the holographic images being conveyed are projected upon those electrostatic fields of the mind and are perceived or understood to the extent that the electrostatic field is operating at a frequency and amplitude that can harmonize with and therefore read the energy carrier wave pattern passing through it. Contrary to what everyone knows is so, it may not be the brain that produces consciousness, but rather, consciousness that creates the appearance of the brain. In a now declassified document by the DIA, Defense Intelligence Agency, titled Project Sunstreak, a branch of Project Stargate, we find an interesting mention of Chinese scientists successfully conducting remote viewing experiments with children. The document states, Only one scientific claim of detection of remote viewing is known. Chinese scientists claim to have detected remote viewing during their experiments with children. There isn't anything else said about this instance in the document. In another document pertaining to the same DIA-CIA remote viewing programs titled Developing Psy Psychic Capabilities Among Japanese Children According to the Chinese Way, we find a bit more info. The document briefly states that there was a TBS Vision documentary in Japan with the aim to document a joint Japan-China project to induce ESP among both Chinese and Japanese schoolchildren by Chinese methods. China's modern research into parapsychology, also called somatic science, goes back to the 70s as well with the work of scientist Le Ping Zha who helped normalize the study within academia. His work helped create the Institute of Somatic Science of Yunnan University, which was later founded in 1980. This institute would go on to perform many experiments in the field of ESP. In addition to the university, there is also the more recent International Chinese Parapsychology Association, centered in Hong Kong. Some extraordinary claims have been made by the researchers about their work with blind children. They've claimed to teach children how to tap into their inner spiritual quantum powers to achieve paranormal abilities. In a brief summary article by one of the founding professors, Yi Fang Cheng, titled Psi Research in China, we learn of these claims. He claims that the cultivation of the intuitive skills within the minds of the blind children was done so by some scientific experiments and the practice of Qigong. This practice is an ancient metaphysical system of honing the mind-body connection through meditative energy methods. Similar to Grinberg's methods of tapping into the non-local lattice via meditative tuning and thus quantum entanglement within the pre-space structure, Qigong uses the life force or energetic field around us to make deliberate changes to our physical bodies. Chang claims that through meticulous training methods, they were able to teach the kids how to see with touch. They were able to decode images drawn on paper and even describe what color they were. Even more extraordinary, Cheng claims the children developed telepathic abilities among each other and could collectively move objects with telekinesis. Yi Feng Cheng has developed some interesting theories on how parapsychology might be possible. He believed that outside of the four fundamental forces of nature, there was a fifth force, which he termed the Thought Field. All of this somatic science is possible when we understand that consciousness precedes and is superior to physical matter. It is the mind that creates the physical world and not the other way around. Through the cosmic ether, we can unlock other sensibilities and broaden our consciousness to acquire some amazing powers that can change the physical world we experience. It is no secret now that governments around the world have experimented with parapsychological phenomena. These abilities could be used for the well-being and advancement of the human race. But most of the time, the global military-industrial complex uses these powers for war efforts. The mind is powerful. And if fully understood and unlocked, we could tap into the matrix energy gridwork and elevate our consciousness to be interconnected with the limitless energy of the universe to uplift our health and happiness among each other. There are networks of nefarious groups on earth who seek to control the crystal lattice mind illusion to perpetuate its detrimental aspects that keep us subdued in a central reality benefiting to their agendas. The simulation in which we live, as beautiful and majestic as it may seem, could possibly be a perverse and false reality, deceiving us into believing that it is a realm designed by our creator, when really it's a program designed by a false god. The Gnostics spoke on this within their mythos, telling us that this universe was created by a demented being, the Demiurge. Among the many psychedelic texts, we find the story of the Demiurge interwoven throughout their mythos. They believed that in the beginning existed the one true creator, and from this being, the first emanations of divine consciousnesses were formed. One of these was Sophia. She drifted off and attempted to create her own being, but terribly failed. From her was born the Demiurge, who, created improperly apart from the true creator, came out demented and deformed. In the Gnostic text titled, The Hypostasis of the Archons, the Reality of the Rulers, we are told that he resembled an aborted fetus. Sophia was devastated and disturbed by the creation and cast it out of heaven. This new being, deserted from heaven, didn't know that the true God existed and arrogantly thought of itself to be God. The Demiurge created an entourage of servants known as Archons, rulers, who helped him create a new universe and that universe is the one we live in. The Gnostic worldview was a blend of Greek philosophy and the Judeo-Christian teachings. As I presented earlier, Plato believed our world was a shadow of the real world, or essence of all things. The New Testament frequently refers to this earth as the domain of Satan, as in the case when Jesus is meditating in the desert and Satan offers him the whole world which Jesus denies. In John 5, 19, we are told, We know that we are God's children and that the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. Many religions and belief systems see the physical world as being a deceptive trap which keeps the soul imprisoned in the defiled state of matter. In A.C. Bhaktivedanta's book on reincarnation, coming back, we are told that reincarnation is not a system of belief that is meant to be glorified, but a vicious cycle that keeps the soul trapped which we are meant to break. As he states therefore the duty of a human being is to search out such a spiritual master for under his guidance one can become free from the cycle of reincarnation and return to his original home in the spiritual world this simulated reality which we live in seems to have been understood by all the ancients as a false reality controlled by dark forces like those of the demiurge and the archons if the false rulers of this reality are not of god And live in deception than to live in truth and in god would cause their existence to cease these beings need the deception to be sustained or else they would fade away into oblivion as beautiful as this universe may seem it's all in a constant state of deterioration the cyclical nature of life causes the death and rebirth system but as a spiritual being we aren't meant to undergo this dizzying cycle we are meant to live eternally which is also widely agreed upon by all ancient customs. The beings who keep us from leaving this program and seeing the beauty and truth in God are those of the reptilian brain network. This network is a self-governing system that acts through the cycling inhibitors that evoke the reptilian brain and subdue us into the lower forms of consciousness. As we are fed low-quality reality, we ingest and express low-quality existence. The reptilian brain or R-complex was termed by American neuroscientist Paul D. MacLean in the 1950s. The reptilian brain or primal instinctive areas of the brain deal with hunger, sex, territorial defense, fear, etc. The reptilian brain, mostly residing in the amygdala, controls the fear and pleasure circuits. It controls the basic animalistic behaviors of the human mind and also takes care autonomic functions that don't require conscious thinking that are a part of repetitive action we use our reptilian brain for instance when we drive home tired after work as we zone out to music not fully realizing we've traveled all that distance to arrive so quickly the reptilian brain allows the mind to operate on an unconscious level in order to have a docile mass which doesn't revolt or ask defying questions the shadowy elite would simply need to subtly evoke the reptilian brain within the population this could be done so through the use of fear-mongering the news channels of today are constantly programming us to fear some foreign threat or to fear one another fear is a quick and cheap way to call forth the reptilian brain when we are in a state of fight or flight when being faced with real danger This quick focusing from the primal mind is useful. When we are constantly told to be fearful and it becomes a daily reality, we submerge ourselves into the frequency of the reptilian brain and live in a lower quality of consciousness. When we are in that lower quality of consciousness, we will be more susceptible to following governmental orders. When we are fearing for our lives due to some global threat, we turn to the rulers of the world who in that moment give off a perceived presence of superiority. The truth is, we are all capable of being strong, healthy, and independent. The corporatocracy uses subliminal messaging and primal triggers to induce the reptilian brain to take precedent in our waking consciousness. By appealing to our basic instincts, sex, hunger, competition, etc., we are influenced to buy products that fuel the elite of the world while our lives remain unchanged outside of the secular pomp that we masquerade in. Our minds are shaped by unseen forces deploying archons in our daily lives meant to change our conscious behavior. The shaping of the minds of the populace through advertising started with Edward Bernays born in 1891 in america he is regarded as the father of public relations when world war one hit bernays was employed by the committee on public information the cpi was a branch of the government designed to sway the public's attitude toward the war effort bernays learned a lot during that time as he's quoted here there was one basic lesson i learned in the cpi that efforts comparable to those applied by the cpi to affect the attitudes of the enemy of neutrals and people of this country could be applied with equal facility to peacetime pursuits in other words what could be done for a nation at war could be done for the organization and people in a nation at peace he changed public opinion with ingenious marketing and advertising implementing catchy slogans sensory invoking imagery and subliminal messages he did this at the behest of his big-time paying customers who sought to make large profits off of the societal change. In his second book, Propaganda, published in 1928, Bernays admitted, The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. With the printing press and the newspaper, the railroad, the telephone, telegraph, radio and airplanes, ideas can be spread rapidly and even instantaneously over the whole of America. The reptilian brain network has used television through its news consortium to push fear narratives for close to a century. J.P. Morgan, an American mogul monster with an international reach of financial and corporate control and unprecedented success and riches was the first to unify the American press in propaganda efforts. The merging of media companies has continued through the decades. As of now, only six major conglomerates own 90% of the U.S. media industry. Going back to Jacobo Grinberg and his work with telepathy and the pre-space structure, we find a more harrowing revelation about the central reality. Each person is a conduit. For the matrix and therefore could be used to infect or infiltrate it with a desired reality, as is stated here by Grinberg. Each neuronal field, a person's subconscious, is affected by the hyperfield matrix program, and thus whatever happens to any human being has repercussions on the state of everyone else. In other words, we are pipelined from the source of our simulation, and by hacking our minds, we are hacking into the source, or vice versa. If the collective reality exists because we are all conforming to its space-time rules then anyone who has an invested and profitable share of the entirety of it needs the mass to conform in order for the mundane reality to be sustained if groups of people were to awaken and shift their paradigm then the rulers of this reality could simply affect the masses as individual conduits to reinstate the status quo with the mass downloads and things Will get pushed into the source and fed back into the simulation creating a feedback loop of illusion the masses become self-governed by the reinforced social policing that arises from the reptilian brain network casting a fear-based state of being that is illusory the more fearful and reptilian like we are the less focused and centered in our higher self we become along with the detrimental news consortium comes the side effect of depression which adds to the vicious cycle that keeps us locked in our reptilian brain. Depression has been on the rise over the years. A study in 2022 showed that about 10% of Americans are diagnosed with clinical depression. That's about 33 million people walking around operating from a low vibration. PhD student, Cecily Whitley, and philosophy professor, Jonathan Birch, both of the London School of Economics and Political Science, have recently proclaimed That depression might not just be an emotion but an actual altered state of consciousness they propose that depression belongs in the category of global states of consciousness global conscious states are states which affect the entirety of the mind and brain for example the state of comatose would be a global conscious state which affects the entirety of being Whitley and Birch have theorized that depression, especially chronic depression, is not as simple as feeling sad after watching a movie, but as a state of consciousness that takes over the entirety of a person's being. Depression is a force that squeezes the life out of people, and if untreated, can cause them to spiral further into fatal side effects. Whitley explains in her paper titled, Depression as a Disorder of Consciousness, that when an individual is depressed... She departs from a state of wakefulness to a distinctive depressive state of consciousness, a change which is reflected in an experience of an existential shift. The changes an individual undergoes when she becomes depressed resemble and are changes of the same kind as the changes to her experience that occur when she departs from waking consciousness and starts dreaming. Whitley tells us that depression envelops a person's consciousness and shifts their mind into a lower vibration. Where most people would be living in waking consciousness the depressed person is living in a subtle and indistinctive reality at that point they lose their higher self and individuality and are controlled by the parasitical nature of depression turning back to the gnostic worldview with the archons we see that the energetic demons are at play in different forms in our modern world the term archons means rulers anything that is controlling or ruling us is an archon unseen forces guided by the drive to deteriorate our soul or well-being have universally been regarded as evil demonic archonic, etc depression is an unseen force we don't see it physically gripping our lives but it can and does again the root of the issue is a conscious one the power of our mind is special and that's why the shadowy elite and the reptilian brain network seek to attack it. If depression is truly a global conscious state issue, then that means it needs to be treated as so. It won't be fixed with temporary means. It can only be fixed with a complete purification and restructuring of the person's mind from within towards the external. It's clear that the leaders of our country and the world aren't interested in actually creating a healthy and spiritually sound world. They are focused on profits, and in order to make those profits, they need to keep us poor, destitute, and unconscious. Along with depression and slaving away for basic needs, most people turn to poor dieting just to quickly keep up with the rat race. And unhealthy food is on every corner, readily available to answer to the needs of the reptilian brain, which is consistently being zapped by the archons around it. If we aren't operating from a higher consciousness, Our lack of financial stability will restrict us to poor options and our degraded environment will infect our lives with stressing experiences. These experiences will lead us to make destructive choices which in turn keeps us in the reptilian brain of low vibration. This low vibration will breed depression which will alter our entire consciousness to become passive and narrow, only focusing on the minimal effort to get by. This will lead to the death of the soul if not the death of the body we are easily influenced by the cheap tricks of the archons because when we live in the lower vibration we seek validation from outside ourselves we look to external authorities for guidance in what we should do and how we should eat when we do so we leave ourselves at the whim of the leaders of the corporatocracy who are only seeking to make a profit by furthering our demise a lot of the destruction these days centers around our love for social media, which drives our cultural ambition to be superficial, which distracts us from our true self. The impulse to look at our screen isn't just a glance at it, it's a reaction to the multitude of reptilian brain instincts firing off at once as a response to the plethora of fear and pleasure possibilities in that one second. The chance of receiving a comment or a message, for example, for positive or negative reasons, could mean the difference of whether we're being accepted or disapproved by the world. The addiction and impulse we go through is caused by our reptilian brain freaking out in a world full of flashing and blinding lights that block our higher brain and mind from operating. We become distracted by meaningless substance that stops us from focusing on issues that need real attention and nurturing in our lives. This escaping of our spiritual reality causes us to spiral further into the madness of the simulation thoughts or brain waves which are expressions of consciousness are the real driving force behind physical reality we are consciousness so in other words we are thoughts because we are actually consciousness thoughts are our individual ether creations which can start off as imaginative but have the potential to be manifested into matter through the process of willpower. Thoughts are the fundamental building blocks of willpower. To control someone's thoughts would be to indirectly control the very essence of what they are and what they can become. The less conscious and human we are, and the more robotic and reptilian-like we become, the more we stray from our divine creator. The obsession to merge ourselves with technology can be dangerous and can lead to the severe separation from our true self the advancement of AI technologies might exasperate the issue and force us into a world where most humans won't be necessary anyway as the elite create a new workforce that doesn't require rights or payment. The Archons or shadowy elite have conglomerated to bring forth this possibility of rendering us useless by weaving a nexus of global corporatric agencies seeking to diminish and control our sovereignty. This has been done so through the Globalist Agenda. The Globalist Agenda was bred from the Industrial Revolution. The Industrial Revolution brought forth aggressive minds who sought to take advantage of the shift from a national agricultural society to an international corporatocratic society which would be run by a few at the top and self-policed by machine systems. The Globalist philosophy born out of the 20th century has slowly developed into a science of mass population control. The push towards a one-world government system has required the subliminal programming social engineers to integrate the arconic nexus to corner the general population into vulnerable positions to be subjugated by the globalist vision of the world. The CIA document that I briefly covered earlier, Project Gateway mentions in its vast scientific explanations as to how the quantum spiritual realms work that there exist lower vibrational entities. This is a concerning statement. These lower vibrational entities could be the actual existing archons or evil energy beings who have infiltrated our realm throughout the ages to attack us or they could be a part of the creator's design in order to test us. If we continue to distract ourselves from our higher consciousness and do not resonate With a higher purpose in life we will continually fall victim to the reptilian brain network and give the archons the ability to control us eric newman's 1970 book the origin and history of consciousness sums up the importance of higher thinking as he states only with the progressive systemization of consciousness is there an increase of conscious continuity a strengthening of the will and a capacity for voluntary action which in modern man are the hallmarks of ego consciousness. The stronger the consciousness, the more he can do with it. And the weaker it is, the more things just happen. The more we give into our reptilian brain and disconnect ourselves from the source of all, the creator, the more we believe in the illusion that all we are is just a physical body. The crystal lattice mind illusion is the quandary of existence. It is the illusion that enables the Archons to rule and the gateway through which we can step into our higher self and exit their central reality matrix and step back into the pure ancient matrix with our Creator. In the knowable realm, the form of the good is the last thing to be seen, and it is reached only with difficulty. Once one has seen it, however, one must conclude that it is the cause of all that is correct and beautiful in anything, that it produces both light and its source in the visible realm, and that in the intelligible realm it controls and provides truth and understanding, so that anyone who is to act sensibly in private or public must see it. In the quote above, Plato explains through his theory of forms that the essence of what good is comes from an ultimate goodness that instills this spirit into all things that reflect it. Writing centuries before Christianity, Plato recognized that there was a source for all that we see, a creator that bestows us with a soul. Our souls are pieces shaped out of the source of all souls, that of the creator's energy. This energy is the higher consciousness responsible for our very existence. The crystal lattice mind illusion indicates that we have been placed in an intricate simulation by this higher consciousness. The simulation we are in is based on repeating cyclical systems. This is apparent in all things as we watch the seasons pass, the planets and constellations circle in the night sky and our very breathing rising and falling ascension is achieved through connecting deeply with our creator through the natural cyclical processes that allow us to fully realize who we are and what we're capable of we can tap into these cyclical systems by first starting with our bodies through meditation within us are energy fields that can be harnessed and utilized through transcendental meditation when we meditate We are focusing the internal cycles and taking control of them, and when we do this, some interesting phenomena can happen. When we focus our internal energy fields, we can extend and strengthen them by connecting further into the external energy forces that are a part of the matrix energy gridwork. This process can be activated through kundalini awakening. Kundalini meditation comes to us primarily from the Hindu Upanishad text, 800 to 500 BC. Kundalini refers to a life force which rests within our body at the base of our spine, which can be activated and circulated throughout our body as a life force to elevate our consciousness. This force is described in Hinduism as Kundalini Shakti, literally meaning coiled serpent. When this serpent energy is activated, it powerfully outstretches throughout the body and creates a potent force. This force is not just some superstition of ancient religion, rather it's a practical force that was known and described by ancient religions such as Hinduism. The yogis of old taught us how to activate this life force through various yoga and meditation techniques. In the Granda Samhita, one of the classical early modern Hindu texts, we find an early explanation of the potentiality of Kundalini. The great goddess Kundalini, the primordial energy of the self, sleeps in the sexual region of the body. She has a form rather like a serpent having three and one half coils. As long as she remains asleep, the individual soul is limited and true knowledge does not arise scholars have attempted to draw comparisons with the descriptions of kundalini and the human anatomical structure for many years one such correlation is the body's cerebral spinal fluid system cerebral spinal fluid is a transparent plasma that runs through the spinal cord around and in the brain it helps in providing nourishment protection and waste removal from the brain the fluid channel can clear the brain of bacteria and viruses. In an article for the NIH's National Library of Medicine, titled Physiology Cerebral Spinal Fluid, we find that CSF is propelled along the neural axis from the site of secretion to the site of absorption, mainly by the rhythmic systolic pulse wave within the coroidal arteries. Lesser determinants of CSF flow are frequency of respiration, posture, venuous pressure of the jugular vein and physical effort on the individual and time of day. Ascension of consciousness is achieved through a harmonizing of the spirit machine, through a controlling of the body with the mind and elevating the mind through the controlled yogic cycles of the body. Together they create a feedback loop, one not possible without the other. The search for the anatomical explanation for kundalini didn't stop at the cerebrospinal fluid. Vasant G. Rele, a prolific scholar on modern interpretations of sacred Hindu philosophies, concluded that Kundalini was referring to the human nervous system. Writing in his monumental 1920s work, The Mysterious Kundalini, he reveals that the serpent energy of the ancient text is that of the vagus nervous system. As he states here, a yogi Through the vagus or more accurately, through the vagosympathetic nerve, either by direct or reflex action, more particularly the latter, establishes a complete control over the unconscious automatic action of the involuntary muscular fibers. This is what a yogi desires, so that the normal automatic action may not interfere with his desire of becoming one with him who is all pervading. The vagus nerve system relays information from the brain to all the internal organs. It is the channel and pathway from the brain to the vital centers within the body, which is responsible for calming our organs and mind so as to stabilize them into tranquility. The vagus is outstretched from the brain down to the sex organs, just as the classical yogis described the kundalini to be. Being that it interconnects all the vital organs, it could play a massive role in healing our body. Deliberately sending healing information throughout our body through the vagus nervous system would be a massive benefit of being able to wield and control kundalini. To control our spirit machine was the goal and ability of the classical yogis who sought to ascend reality through kundalini yoga aside from controlling our body and producing healing abilities it was understood that purifying ourselves from within would lead to a spiritual ascension that could allow us to rise to higher dimensions by clearing ourselves of the low energies caused by the central realities reptilian brain network we elevate our spirit machine, and with it, we can change our subconscious programming, creating a deliberate self-reprogramming that in effect creates an elevated reality as this energy is fed into the source and delivered back to us where it is received in the subdimension of our consciousness. The more we practice raising our overall physical and mental health, the more clear and potent this energy force becomes all around us are behavior programs that tell us how to feel about certain subjects and through these our lives are changed as we are slowly conditioned to accept social norms that may have detrimental effects on our spiritual lives the forgetting of who we are in our essence seems to be a part of this simulation we don't remember where we came from prior to our current incarnation and we don't know where we are going could it be possible that through heightened consciousness we could retain memory as we pass through the transition of death just as we drift into sleep there is that crucial moment of going from waking consciousness to dreaming consciousness that quick moment constitutes a sort of death of the mind which is rebirth into the dream world in the dream world we aren't always conscious of who we are in the real life it takes some effort to become lucid and wake up to who we really are death may be the same But to avoid the reincarnation cycle which severs our remembrance we might have to elevate and ascend this program to reach our higher self which will cease to undergo this cycle this cultivating of our consciousness is important to break the reincarnation cycle and to ascend the archon program that keeps us locked into the simulation being recycled as energy to fuel their illusory reality to individuate ourselves We have to expand our consciousness and see that there is a source and that it is this source which gives us our identity only by waking up and realizing who we really are and where we came from can we truly individuate and pass through the transition of death with an unbroken sense of consciousness and regain our infinite and immortal higher self to build and remember our essence is to retain our infinite self which is always existent but only forget so as the energetic transference between death and rebirth swipes the lower vibrating consciousness that has not obtained ultimate willpower. When our higher selves were created in the beginning of all things, they were made to be infinite as our Creator intended. At that exact moment that our higher selves were created, our shadow or our lower selves also emanated forth into the space-time dimensions. The I that we perceive to be here on this earth is really the lower self. Adding to this, our avatar in this matrix also casts a shadow down into the lower realms, and that mind is truly a shadow self, catching all discarded and suppressed emotion. To become our higher self, we have to reconcile our separate minds, first with purifying our lowest self to resonate with our space-time self, and then bringing both into vibration with our highest self. Once all three conjoin and reconcile the dues of samsara, we gain a conscious awareness of all past, present and future. Through that ascended mind, we can see the path before us of the higher realms, no longer held back by the limiting senses of our earth bodies. From that vantage point, we can truly know what it means to be alive and truly begin to understand who our creator is and how we can rejoin with it in the infinite plane of source, the eternal splendor of heaven.